Let's go to John chapter 11. We're going to finish it today. It's been a long chapter. We're going to start reading at verse uh, 45. Lazarus has just been raised from the dead. And I'm not going to read all of it just now. Verse 45, many therefore of the Jews who had been at the tomb when Jesus raised Lazarus is the idea. They had come to Mary and beheld what Jesus had done. Many of them believed in him. But notice this next verse. But some of them went away to the Pharisees. And they told them, these are enemies of Jesus, the things which Jesus had done. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees go into panic mode. They convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. Let me define that word signs. I've done it before, but it's very important to this passage. They don't say a miracle. Of course, they mean a miracle. But in Jewish terminology, nomenclature, a sign meant a miracle, a miracle of God, which carried like a camel on its back. It carried a burden, and that burden was a message, a message that says, this is a work of God. Now listen to this prophet. Moses did many signs. Listen to what they have to say because this message is authorized by heaven. It's interesting that they use that word sign. It was a concession. They didn't quite get the logic of it. Now, I'm going to launch an introduction. I'm going to break a rule that I ordinarily have, and that is don't let the introductions go too long. In this case... It's a longer introduction, and it's very important, very important. So listen carefully. After, after the raising of Lazarus, we should be amazed that anybody could have left that scene in the face of such an undeniable miracle. It was a sign by our Lord we are stunned, we should be, that any of those people could have departed from that venue with any doubt about who Jesus was, any question about his claims. Yet, as we see in these first three verses, there was a mixed response. Some, by the grace of God, the working, the activity of the Spirit of God, did right then and there come to believe on Jesus they said he's the real deal. He's who he said he was. But then there was this other crowd. We don't know how many of the people that had been gathered there at the tomb, but apparently there was quite a crowd. They headed out of there in some degree of panic and concern that this word was going to get around and spread further and further into Jerusalem. They were only two miles away. And that was going to cause some problems. I'll talk about those problems in just a moment. I want to bring the, that response, that negative response forward to our day. One of the things when I teach the scriptures, 
that you will hear from me again and again is the same yesterday, the same today. Nothing has changed. I always want to get you to see that because you would think that what happened here has not happened in our day. I'm going to show you that it is. It's the same deal, the very same deal. So let me bring it forward. The temptation, as I've just suggested, of us moderns is to excuse our own unbelief like this. Well, duh, Jim. If all that was true, those people remember, Pastor, they had boots on the ground. They were there. They were on the scene. They could have walked up and touched Lazarus and said, yep, that's for sure. The real deal, he's been resurrected from the grave. What do we have Today, all we have is unconfirmed testimony of the author of this gospel, John. All we have is 2,100 years later, secondhand reports. And you know, Pastor, those are not as good as being right there on the scene. So you must realize, Pastor, whatever you say, just to speak scientifically, it's not a compelling basis to believe in Jesus. That's dead wrong. You may say, well, I beg to differ, Pastor. I don't think it is. Well, get this. Follow me now. In the eyes of God, the testimony of his written word, this is his written word, through the Holy Spirit, mediated through human beings, the Holy Spirit inspired, in the eyes of God, to back up, the testimony of his written word is, and I'm going to prove this, is just as indisputable, just as undeniable, just as reliable as eyewitness testimony. I'm going to add even more so. Now, you can sit there and say, well, Pastor, I respect you and all of that, but there's no way that's true. Well, how is that? Follow me. We've had detectives in this church, and any of them could tell you, but you don't need to know a detective to know this. We all know how our eyes can deceive us. Detectives know that when they're at the scene of a crime, and they're eyewitnesses, and they said, well, it was an Anglo. He was wearing gray pants and a black shirt and had on an orange hat. I think it was an Oregon State hat. <laughs> I'm just kidding you. Well, later, as they dig into it and they find out, the eyewitness testimony somehow was wrong 
It happens all the time. So police would really rather have DNA testimony rather than eyewitness testimony. The bottom line is eyewitness testimony is important. It's good. And in a crime, they like to have it. If you're looking for big foot, there's all kinds of eyewitness testimony. The three of us were there. We saw Bigfoot. Bigfoot was eight or nine feet high and so on and so all seemed to be credible witnesses. And maybe they are, but somehow that's not very satisfying to the scientific community. I'm just saying that eyewitness testimony is not always that secure as far as the truth, as far as reality is concerned. That's why impressionists make so much money. If they're good, they make you see things that aren't real, don't they? You would swear that you saw that woman sawn in two. You would swear it. But as they look at it, if you get behind the scenes, that really didn't happen. But by golly, it sure looked that way, didn't it? Sure looked that way. And they make a lot of money for fooling the eyes the way they do. Again, don't lose track. I'm only making the point that eyewitness testimony is not nearly so undeniable, so secure as we think it is. And we know that if we're not naive. However, human beings who are divinely authorized and who were prophets and apostles, human beings who have the divine stamp of authority on them, they wrote the scriptures. John was one of those. They wrote it from Genesis to Revelation. Stay with me. The Holy Spirit has faithfully preserved the content of their writing. Every word, every testimony, every witness in this record is guaranteed by God to be true and faithful to the intention of the Holy Spirit who inspired their writings. So I've got this italicized up here. Listen carefully. So in an account like this in John, it comes down to us faithful to the facts. This story of Lazarus comes down to us from God through his mediated through his spirit, mediated through holy men of old, who are not like you and I. I mean, they put their pants on the same way we do. But in terms of their authority, it's guaranteed. It's flat out guaranteed to be true. Even better, in fact, their witness is even more secure, more reliable, more undeniable than eyewitness testimony. The record comes down to us with the Spirit's warranty of authenticity. So, so, 
Where do we go from here? That being the case, if perchance you're an unbeliever, anyone who tries to distance himself or herself from this record and say, well, okay, that all sounds good, but really, don't beat me over the head because these people saw this and walked away, many of them, and unbelief, and in fact aligned themselves with Jesus' enemies. I agree with you if that's true. They have no excuse. They have no excuse. They were stupid beyond measure. Stupid. How could they not be stopped dead in their tracks and say, whoa, this man is who he claimed to be. They were on sight, in the flesh, eyeball to eyeball. How could they be so dumb, so dense as not to believe? Well, but here today in this service, don't come to me 2,100 years later and say, that's them, but that's also you. Not me, preacher. Not me. I wasn't there. I didn't have the advantage of saying, I agree, if that was true. They were beyond stupid, rock-headed, dumber than a box of nails. But don't, don't hit me with that. I wasn't there. Well, whose word is this? Well, it was written by this guy called John. Where did John get his word? God, John was there, but it was mediated by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Signed, sealed, and delivered. This record is as true and faithful as if you and I were there. In that sense, we were there. In that sense, we saw it because this book says it happened. It's sealed. It's delivered. It's every bit as compelling and reliable, even more so, I say again, than if you were there, boots on the ground, 2,100 years ago. Ah, uh, Pastor Jim, brother, I like you and appreciate you, but don't you think that's a reach? You think so? Let me proceed. If you think that's a reach, If you think we're just as accountable for believing this as those people were right there on the spot, I have it straight from the mouth of Jesus himself in the story of Lazarus, the poor man who ate at the rich man's table, ate the crumbs that fell from his table. Now let me tell the story. I have to go back and read it, but I'm going to tell you where it is. You can check it out later. Go to Luke 16. But as I say, I don't have time to read it, but I'll tell it faithfully. It's a kind of parable, but as Jesus' parable, it's true. You can depend on the basic facts. 
Lazarus was a wretched man, but he was a faithful Jew somehow. He lived in gross poverty, and he had no choice but like a dog, just eat crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. The rich man was like an animal, though he was a man. Couldn't give a hoot about the poor man eating at his feet. What's all this have to do with Lazarus? You'll see. Well, the day comes when both men pass away, Lazarus. And where does Lazarus end up according to the parable of Jesus? Luke 16 goes, Lazarus ends up in the bosom of Father Abraham, the patriarch of the Jews, who is in paradise. Lazarus, everything is flipped. Lazarus is in the comfort and consolation of Father Abraham. And he's in the joy of the Lord. Where is the rich man? Wicked, unbelieving, like the rest of his family. We'll find that out. The rich man lifts up his eyes in Hades. He lifts up his eyes in a place of torment. He's dying of thirst in those flames. He looks across, way across, and he sees Abraham, and he sees Lazarus, the one who used to, with the dogs, eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Father Abraham, Father Abraham, I see Lazarus there with you. Would you please send Lazarus here and bring a little cup of water and pour it on my tongue? I'm in torment in these flames. Now, I'm paraphrasing. Abraham says, you're still wondering what this has to do with Lazarus. You'll see. Abraham's Sorry, guy, that's not going to happen. There's a great gulf fixed between you and Lazarus. I'm sorry. Well, then, Abraham, can you do this? I'm here in torment. I don't want this to happen to my brothers. They're all just like I was. Would you send somebody, anybody, I don't give a rip, send somebody raised from the dead. Now that'll get their attention. A resurrected person. When my brothers are confronted with a resurrected person, oh boy, that'll knock the walls down. They'll say, oh yeah, yeah, man, we get it now. And they'll flip. You know what Abraham said? I've always been struck. You should be struck too. You think about it. Abraham said, sorry, won't work as Abraham calling somewhere to confirm what I'm saying. (laughs) Abraham said, read it at the end of Luke 16. Let me tell you something, rich guy. And your rich brothers, if they won't believe the written words, the word of God, through Abraham, through Moses, 
and through the prophets. They won't believe the voice of somebody raised from the dead. What's he saying? Get that. He's saying, we come in here, we come in here in our church, we sit here every day. That's why we teach the Word of God, and we teach the Word of God. What time is it? Somebody wake me. I really don't see you sleeping. He's droning on and on. Abraham says, let me tell you a secret about the written word of God. It is so filled with the spirit. The word of God is not like any other book on earth. It so issues from the mouth of the spirit. It is so powerful. that it wouldn't make any difference if you heard the same word from every cemetery in Portland. (laughs) If God raised up dead from all the cemeteries in Portland and came and told you the truth, it would make no more impression than the word of God. Does that stun you a little bit? That's the way it is. The preacher doesn't bring the power. You don't know how inept I sometimes feel, how weak, standing before a congregation. I know, I have learned to know that it's only the power of the Word of God. And some people are absolutely just like these Jews, absolutely impervious to it because they're like these Jews who walked away. It's like a ping pong ball bouncing off a rock wall. They don't get it. Their prejudice is firm. It's adamant. God lets it only have so much force in their case. Unless his grace is working, it won't work. It won't work. I could stand up here. I'm going to use the strongest word. I could preach till hell freezes over. I could get all sweaty. I could jump up and down. I could run and forth across this platform and up these aisles. It still would not make it. What in the world is going on with him? Is he mad? Wouldn't make any impression. If the word won't do it, somebody raised from the dead or any number of people raised from the dead would not make that impression. Well, that comes right from Jesus. I didn't make it up. So, no. No, it's not over the top. These people stood there and they saw that and they walked away. When I get up here or John Doe or anybody else gets up here and teaches the same word from the witness of John, whose witness is the witness of the Spirit, whose witness is the witness of the Father and the Son, it's just as good in terms of power in terms of force, in terms of persuasion, just as good as if you were standing there that day and even better. Wow. Nothing has changed. People are just just as impervious to the word as they ever were. But the beautiful thing is here and there and there and there and out there and somewhere over there, the Spirit of God does work. 
he does work to draw, John chapter 6, to draw men and women whom the Father sends to Christ. Draw them. Draw them. But thousands, millions more just go, ah, bunch of crap. And they go away. But they can never complain. Well, I didn't have the same advantage as they did. Oh, yes. You had the word, which is just as powerful, if you only knew. Just as powerful as if you were witnessing Lazarus raised from the dead. No excuses. None. Well, that's the introduction. Now we've got the message, which only goes on another hour or so. I'm kidding you. Well, powerful stuff. So we see different responses. Nothing has changed. Today, we see the same different responses. Some believed, others did not. In the face of the most compelling evidence of Jesus' claims, they still walked away, ran away, actually, aligning themselves with Jesus' enemies, the Pharisees back in Jerusalem, ran off to give them a heads up. Do you know what just happened? You're not going to believe this. You need no, you need to get your ducks in a row because there's going to be there's going to be backlash from this. You need to get on this, get the PR machine rolling so you can get out in front of this thing and not be behind it. We were just up there. You some of you remember this guy Lazarus and his two sisters? They apparently were a prominent family. Well, you know he died a few days ago. And this Jesus, this Jesus who we all know by now claims to be kind of covertly the Messiah. Well, right on the site, he raised him from the dead. He's doing all kinds of signs. We got to get in front of this and take care of our interest. There was no use denying the undeniable. They simply reported the stunning facts. So the opposition with whom they aligned, could figure out how to manage the public acclaim of Jesus and not let the furor get out of hand. They were afraid of messianic fever. Well, there are verse 47 and 48, as you can see, or you will see, I think. Verses 47 and 48, the authorities, that means the Sanhedrin, that means the Jewish Senate, that means the Jewish Council, all those terms apply. The authorities jumped to it in panic. They convened an emergency meeting of the Jewish council to figure out what their best response was. They admitted they could not refute they could not refute the irrefutable. There was no way to rationalize this sign, and they themselves used that term. This scene evokes the modern panic that we still have concerning Jesus. I'm showing you nothing ever changes. It evokes the panic of woke schools, woke school boards, teachers unions, administrators of colleges and universities. It evokes the panic of political ideologues 
on the left wing. It evokes the panic of many government agencies, woke, yes, military officials, and woke corporate boards and social media platforms who are doing everything they can today to get in front of Jesus and curb and blunt his influence and the influence of his church and the influence of the scriptures in our cultural streams. Stop it, stop it, stop it, get in front of it. But in the process, as they weigh this decision, they make a damning concession. I told you what a sign was. They use that very word. But still we see tenacious unbelief. The tenacity of human unbelief, I hope you see by now with what I've explained to you, is at times a great wonder itself. This is one of those instances. When a human being, boy or girl, man or woman or whoever, when a human being loves the world, and the things and the attractions of the world, as did Jesus' enemies. Not even undeniable miracles, like the raising of the dead before their very eyes, can shatter the rock of their resistance to the truth. It's amazing. It's astounding. That has always been the case. Only the sovereign work of grace and mercy can remove these blinders and the love affair that people have. High officials have, scientists have, professors have, can remove those blinders. And their love affair with the world, the flesh, and the devil. You don't always know what you can believe on the internet, but this is a pretty big story. I saw it yesterday. Oh, for years and years and years, We've been hearing about the Big Bang, the Big Bang. Well, apparently the Big Bang has just been reduced to nothing. I don't know whether you saw that. Ain't no more Big Bang. Now they're scrambling, what do we put in its place? Well, they'll find something. They do not want to believe. They do not want the implications of Jesus Christ. They do not want them. Get them out of here. Don't let people see them. Free speech, you can have, but you can't have that free speech. They knew they were forced to acknowledge that Jesus' great signs were the real deal. Forewarned, they anticipated the impact and the influence upon the common people. They knew that had to be reckoned with. So now they were into the stupid question of damage control. That was on the council table. Look, I know many of you are so discouraged with all, you've told me, you're just so discouraged with all the bad news coming down the pike these days that you yourselves, some of you, not all of you, tell me you don't even watch the news anymore. If you did, you would notice around 50% of the American people are flat out duped, are blindly under the influence of that evil, wicked ideology called the new left. Hates God, 
hates us, hates the scriptures, is amoral or immoral, is totally in to killing human beings called babies. Totally into it. Promoting and pushing it like mad. Throwing more and more money at it and on and on it goes. That's wicked. That's evil. They despise and fear his counter-influence in our society and will do just about anything to crucify him afresh. I say again, when you read this text, you remember different faces, different places, different language, different cultural habits, but nothing has fundamentally changed, folks. You're living in it. What went around is still going around. So now they have a great dilemma in this narrative. In our culture, we give every evil and mindless influence almost a free pass. Have you noticed that? But we treat Christ and his influence as socially and culturally toxic. People are so afraid that if he and his are not suppressed or muted, their worldly ideals and their worldly interest will be done away with. That can't happen. So they just have to crucify him afresh. I've told you, you may have been here, you may not have been here. One third of you are going every Sunday. The sign on the internet that I saw a year ago or more, here was a young man, nice looking young man, looked to be in about his 30s carrying a great big sign ahead of, in the vanguard of a great mob of people. I don't know, some city in America saw it with my own eyes. The sign read, if Jesus comes again, we will kill him again. That's exactly the spirit of our culture. That was the spirit of the elites back then. So they had a dilemma Okay, this Lazarus thing cannot be denied. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Great science. Everybody's going to believe in him. We cannot let that happen. We cannot let this guy get loose. There's going to be messianic fever all over the place. People are going to believe in this crazy guy. And you know what's going to happen? You've got this fever going like crazy. And now you're going to have this mob movement to install him as the Messiah that he professes to be. We can't allow this. What are we going to do? And then the devil always has one clear-eyed guy around. He was the high priest that year. His name was Caiaphas. And all of a sudden Caiaphas stood up, as you read the text there. I paraphrase, you idiots. You stupid idiots. Don't just stand here in a panic and go back and forth. What are we going to do? You know what has to happen. He's got to be killed. It's better. And now the Spirit of God takes over. Caiaphas has, he's of the devil, but he's like Balaam's ass. Caiaphas is Balaam's ass. All of a sudden, he's speaking the words of God. He said, it's better that one man die for all the people 
than the one man be saved. Oops, he didn't know it. Coming out of his mouth was the word of God. Boy, that's interesting. If they let that get loose, here's what they were afraid of. They were politicians. This was real politic of Henry Kissinger. Sometimes, let's not have any of this moralistic talk. Sometimes you've got to do what the situation requires. Here's what it requires, dummies. So let's get on it. If that doesn't happen, the Romans are going to get excited. They're going to come rolling in here with all their heavy armor. They're going to put it down with force. They're also going to take us out, and we'll lose our place of privilege. We don't want that to happen. He's got to go. So that was their option. And then that's when Caiaphas, not knowing that he was under the influence of the Spirit of God, he spoke up. Something more to say about that. An unintended prophecy. Listen, folks, God can speak anytime, anywhere, through any medium he chooses to speak. There are all kinds of voices out there today, all kinds of junk about calling themselves prophets and saying all kinds of stupid things. The one thing God will not do is lie. When his spirit speaks, he speaks the truth, even though people don't know they're speaking the truth. He speaks the truth, and he never speaks in a way that is inconsistent with his revealed word. He does not speak with two voices. It's a terrible thing to represent your thoughts as God's thoughts. Beware of false voices who claim to speak for God. As Isaiah 8.20 says, to the word and the testimony. If they do not speak consistently with God's word, they do not belong to God. Incidentally, this stuff is so prominent today. Be careful about telling people, God told me so and so. Be very careful when you say that. That could be fatal. A woman told me that a couple she knew told her God had told them to have 12 children. God did not. And it never happened. It's never going to. It's a terrible thing. Say, God told me that. Go to Deuteronomy 13 and see how fatal that can be. You be very careful. You can say the Spirit led me, which he does. But again, he will not lie. Right here, their plan to do away with Jesus is formalized. But before it can succeed, it has to wait on God's timing. That time will always be God's time, not theirs. Jesus will meanwhile in his movements, we see at the end of the chapter here, he will cooperate with the Spirit, like in Matthew 4. The Spirit led him up into the wilderness. The Spirit will temporarily put Jesus out of harm's way until it's the Father's time. How many times have you heard me stress the point, safety for you and I in this dark world is following the Spirit and the Scriptures. The Spirit speaks through the Word. 
God and his plan is always on time and he's on the dime. I'm not going to die a minute sooner than his plan, nor live a minute longer, no matter how accidental things may seem to be. It's all in his sovereign province, so relax. Well, in verses 55 through 57, the great Passover feast is about to take place, and it's at the end of that feast that the Father in heaven will allow Jesus to be taken into custody, tried by a kangaroo court, taken before Pilate, and a decree to crucify him will be issued. But he came into the world in the fullness of time to redeem us, and he's going out in the fullness of time to save us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him, trusts in him, will not perish, will not perish, will not perish, but have everlasting life. And there is our hope and there is our security. It doesn't matter what happens in between. Well, I hope, long introduction, that you got that point. That is big. That is big. What you hear from the Word is just as powerful, just as convincing, just as compelling as if you were there on the spot because it is God's Word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your written Word, just as we rejoice in the living Word, He who is the Word of God who became flesh. It's all yours. It's all got the same authority. And help us not to duck behind any excuses for ignoring it. We pray that if any man or woman, boy or girl, whoever is here, who does not know the Lord Jesus or who is listening online, the Spirit may draw them into his saving arms by your grace. We ask it in his name. Amen.